Hello everyone and welcome to That Time When, the comedy history podcast where we tell you about strange things that happened in history. I am your host for this week, Barnaby King, and joining me as ever is my co-host, Amelia Edwards. Hello. Hello. So, the past few times that I've been hosting, Mm. I've kind of stuck to late 19th, early 20th century. You have, haven't you? Yeah. So I thought, you know what, even though it, it... it's sometimes easier to do stuff from those sorts of times because we, have... we actually have the data exactly but i thought you know what let's let's go back to you know proper history we're, we're gonna go right the way back to well starting off in 259 bce oh is this the oldest we've gone uh well i mean considering in the vampire episode i talked oh, about yeah. stuff that went back to uh oh god what's it called mesopotamia yeah and uh, Gilgamesh. Yep. Then probably not. But I, I mean, like, are we doing the whole episode in, back in these Well, times? yes and no. We are actually going to briefly look ahead just a little bit to 1974. Oh, cool. Um, but for the, I mean, yeah. <laughs> for the most part, we are back around the sort of 200 BCE mark. Cool, cool. Now, you might be expecting me to say that we're going to talk about Rome, because typically this is the time period where I start talking about Rome. But eagle-eyed listeners will notice that I did not start the podcast saying Salvete Romani. Eagle-eyed listeners. Fine. Eagle-eared listeners. (laughs) Eagle-eared listeners will notice that I didn't say Salvete Romani, which Mm. is my typical introduction if I'm doing an episode about the Romans. And this is because we're going to get out of our European bubble. Ooh. And we are going to go to China. Ooh, okay. And I am going to talk about the first emperor of China, Qin Shi Huang. Okay. Who is a fascinating individual, so fascinating that I cannot possibly do a single episode on his entire life. So I am going to focus on a particular aspect of him. Nice. Because... Even though beautiful eyes. (laughs) Well, even though he was known as the first emperor, he united the seven warring states and created the institution of imperial China that would last until 1912. Oh, my God. Uh, They even used the same word, Huangdi, to describe the emperor. I am going to talk about something else with him. (laughs) Okay. He accomplished many things, and he was known for his great feats on the battlefield, as well possibly as his cruelty. I Uh, mean, I imagine you can't unite seven kingdoms without being a bit cruel. It's also supposed that some of the cruelty might have been embellished by later Han Dynasty writers to basically, you know, put the preceding dynasty in a bad light. We're a great dynasty. We're so nice to people. We barely torture anyone at all. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But I am going to talk about his odd preoccupation with his own death. Okay. So even before he was emperor, when he was just king or ruler of the state, the term king doesn't exactly apply, but it is probably the best word to use. Is it one of those things that old-fashioned historians would go warlords because they're not European? (laughs) Well, yes, but also some modern historians of Chinese history say that king is an inaccurate term. That's fair. But since we don't really have another word, I'm going to use words like king and prince and everything like that. Sure. I mean, those things change all the time anyway. Yeah. Well, he became king Mm -hmm. of... Leader. (laughs) Leader of the state of Qin... 
at the age of 13. Oh, man. Uh, he wasn't known then as Qin Shi Huang. Mm-hmm. That was the name he gave himself when he became emperor. Okay. Uh, he was originally called Zheng, and he seemed to have death somewhat on his mind from an early age, because even while he was king, he started having his mausoleum built. Oh, my God. Well, when he was 13? Possibly a little bit later. Okay. But... It, but was, still. <laughs> it was still fairly early in his life to be contemplating mm. his mortality. But this may have been because of a number of factors. Firstly, his father had only reigned for three years before dying prematurely. Oh hence why he yeah. succeeded the throne at 13. But also because during his time as king and later as emperor, he survived a number of very interesting assassination attempts. I love an interesting assassination attempt. Oh, yes. At least he wasn't bored. Well, they are very interesting. Okay. He also uh, survived a coup against him at quite a young age, but I'm not really going to talk about that because it doesn't really seem like Zheng was actually in much danger. So I don't know how much influence it had on him. All right. So... I'm going to take us forward a bit. So don't think of him as a 13-year-old. Think of him as like a young adult. All right. And at this point, he's had a pretty successful military career. He's been taking over various parts of the seven states that make up what we now know as China. Mm -hmm. And basically, the Qin state had the largest military out of the lot. Wow. And there was a much smaller state called the Yan, And they knew they could not stand against the might of the Qin armies. So the crown prince, who has possibly one of the best names... Okay. Just because it's completely out of place. The crown prince, Dan of Yan... No! (laughs) Dan? Dan of Yan, Dan of Yan? Yes. No. Yep, his name was Dan. Cool. Uh, He ordered one of his warriors, a man called... <laughs> no, a man called Jing Kei. Oh, okay. To assassinate King Zheng. Now, Jing Kei also brought in a younger warrior called Qin Wu Yang, who was known to have committed murder at the age of 13. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. In order What's to. What's with all these 13 year olds being so precocious? This was a pretty bloody period of Chinese history. <laughs> it looks like it. Yeah. So these two were to kind of be the masterminds of the plot, but they also got in a third party. General Huan Yi, okay, who was actually a former general of the Qin state, but had turned traitor. Oh, and King Zheng had placed a price of one thousand gold pieces on his head. Whoa! So the plan was that the two warriors would claim the reward. So then they would get themselves an audience with the king, and mm-hmm. you know, close enough to kill him. And you can imagine that this presented some difficulty because. Huan Yi was one of their co-conspirators. Yeah, he's not dead. No, exactly. He's very much alive. But the thing is that Huan Yi hated King Zheng so much that he agreed to let the other two cut off his head and present it to King Zheng. What? Yep. He hated him that much. I mean... That that's a pretty that's a pretty strong grudge to hold. I don't Good know God. exactly what happened. I mean, is that the story that they told afterwards though? Like- I don't know. It's quite possible. But it does like, seem we that- don't, do we have proof that this guy was like, no, a hundred percent I want you to cut off my head. I mean, we have some proof, but there are differing accounts. Okay. So this is generally accepted as 
the the version that happened but we can't be 100% sure and it would be pretty extreme yeah at the same time because of some stuff later forced suicides are definitely a thing mm. and i would not put it past someone who really hated zhang okay. to do this is this just like one of those things where it's like china in the year 200 bc is just like a really like it's a very passionate time kind of mm. like rome you sometimes have yeah. people do like stuff that seems absolutely bizarre to us today yeah absolutely so huan yi had his head cut off great and the conspirators wrapped it in a map of a particular strategic area of the yan state so it was basically two gifts in one. Oh, i see yeah and this would have <laughs> got blood all over it <laughs> I mean, I'm hoping they, like, washed it and drained it first, but... (laughs) (laughs) Sure. (laughs) But what this did was it allowed them to get close to the king. Yeah. So they were presented at the court. But unfortunately, the younger conspirator, Qin Wu Yang, got really nervous and actually stopped walking towards the king when they were meant to. Oh, no. Yeah, and he started trembling. Okay. So... Jin Kei, thinking on his feet, in an amazing bluff, said, Forgive my partner, he is trembling because he has never set eyes on the son of heaven before. Oh, you suck up, Jin Kei. I know, right? And yet this appeared to work. I mean, it probably does if you've got the biggest army in China. Yeah, probably so. But it allowed Jin Kei to get close enough to the king. Mm. And he unrolled the map yep. to reveal the head of Huan Yi. And also a dagger. <gasps> a dagger that had been specially commissioned by Crown Prince Dan of Yan. <laughs> 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 yep, yep. To be uh, particularly sharp and infused with a poison. Ooh. So now I've got cl- so many questions about how you infuse. I think a blade they just they just poisoned it. Okay. They just put poison on the blade. Okay. I mean, there are some. So there are some stories in uh, some Eastern cultures about like metals infused with things like neurotoxins. Okay. I don't know the validity of it. I don't think it would work. But... <laughs> All right, fair. <laughs> But I think in this case, it was just a very sharp, very fancy poison dagger. Cool. So, Jin Kei grabs the dagger. Uh-huh. He gets up and he tries to stab the king, but misses because King Zheng ducks out of the way. Oh, no. Only his sleeve was cut. Now, so far, this is, you know, pretty cool and dramatic. It it's... is. It's like a reverse Cleopatra moment. Yes. Yeah, kind of. Um, it also reminds me there's a there's a 2002 film uh, with Jet Li called Hero, yeah, which is all about this person going to a king and basically getting closer and closer and presenting offerings of these assassins he's killed. Okay, and then it it becomes this whole thing whether or not he is actually an assassin yeah. himself. Uh, it's a pretty good film. Cool. But anyway, so so far so martial arts film. Yeah, this is where. It descends from being a cool action dramatic piece into the Benny Hill show. Right. Because as Jing Kei has missed, the king tries to draw his own sword. But okay. the thing is, the sword he has is a ceremonial sword and it's incredibly long. <laughs> no. So when he tries to pull it from the sheath at his waist, he cannot pull it all the way out. Yeah. 
And the thing is, at the time, court officials and palace staff were not allowed to carry weapons while they were in the palace. That makes sense. And all the guards were outside. So (laughs) they didn't know what was happening. So basically, the only people with weapons currently are Jinkei with his poison knife. Yep. And King Zheng. Who can't pull his sword out. Who can't pull his sword out. So what he starts doing is he starts running in circles around the pillars with Jin Kei chasing after him. No! (laughs) Which... This sounds like it must be symbolic of something. Like, this has got to be satirical. I don't think it is. No, it probably isn't. Oh, I love that kind of thing. That's ridiculous. Now, one of the court doctors was a bit more quick-thinking than the others, and he picked up his medical bag and threw it at Jin Kei, <laughs> which stunned him long enough for the king to receive instructions as to how to draw his sword. Oh, awesome. Which was basically he needed to push it up towards his back and then draw it from yeah, over his shoulder. That makes sense. So now the king has drawn this incredibly long sword. He slashes and he hits Jin Kei in the thigh. Jinkei throws the poison dagger at him, but misses. Yes, it's very hard to throw knives. Yeah, and King Zhang basically hits him eight more times and stabs him to death. Yeah. At this point, it's said that the king went catatonic, and it's... Some versions of it say that, you know, he was shocked by the assassination attempt. Other versions basically say he was knackered because he'd been running around the pillar so much. Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Either way, really. Yeah. I mean, this would be quite startling. It would be, yes. Well, that was the first assassination attempt on the life of, well, at this point, King Zheng. Love it, love it. There was a second attempt not long afterwards... And it was less well organized. (laughs) It was was more just one person's idea. Okay. Because there was an individual called Gao Zhanli, who was a skilled musician and happened to have been a friend of Jin Kei. Okay. Now, after Jin Kei's failed assassination attempt, Gao Zhanli went into hiding as a worker in a wine shop. Now, this is because King Zheng was known to really dole out the retributive punishments. Okay. Uh, the failed coup attempt I mentioned earlier involved the person responsible being dismembered by being pulled apart by horses nice. and having three generations of his family executed. Oh my God. Yeah. How did this guy even have three generations of his family around? Apparently he was famously well endowed and virile. Well, good for him. Yeah. There's this whole thing. I'm not going to go into it now because, frankly, it's another mad story and it doesn't really have much bearing on this one. Okay, yeah. Like I said, there's a lot to this guy's life. But, yeah, this is like, this is very much that whole sort of like, your friends and family make you, therefore, exactly. anything that you do, yeah. they're going to get punished for. So, yeah, Gao Zhenli would be in danger. Yeah. But the thing is, he just can't help himself and he starts playing music again. And he is a really good musician. So good, in fact that the king hears about this musician who works in this wine shop and decides, I must hear him play. Everyone's like, he's amazing. So he orders Gao to come to the palace. And Gao Zhanli plays for him, and the king's like, oh my god, it's so beautiful, this is the best music ever. Mm -hmm. And then someone points out, that's Gao Zhanli. (laughs) He was the friend of Jin Kei. (laughs) Now the king is placed in a bit of a quandary here, because he's like, well... You are the friend of a traitor who tried to kill me, but you do play that zither thing really well. Yeah. 
So what he does is he decides to pardon him for basically being friends with Jin Kei, but he can't let him off completely, so he blinds him. Solid, yeah. Yeah, basically deciding that, you know, he doesn't need his eyes to play his instrument, and it also means that he's less likely to try and assassinate me. So, wins all round, I guess. So, you remember how you were like, maybe he was a cruel person. Yeah. I think, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But again, it's one of those situations, isn't it? It's like, okay, I'm trying to take over an empire. Yeah. How can I do this? Yeah. For sure, blinding people. I mean, unless you're going to do an Alexander the Great thing and just conquer your way through without trying to set a, like settle anything down. Yeah, I mean, Zheng definitely wanted to build an empire. Yeah. He wasn't just interested in conquest, as we'll get to later. So now that Gao was blind, he was basically promoted to be court musician. Great. But he wasn't... <laughs> Swings and roundabouts, I, mean, I guess. Yeah, but he wasn't fully trusted. After all, he was the friend of an assassin. Who yeah. knows? Maybe the assassination gene rubbed off on him or something. Maybe he might want to get revenge for having been his... For yeah. having his friend killed and also being blinded. Yeah. But after uh, quite a long time, it seems like Gao's, you know, pretty chill about the whole thing. He keeps playing music for the king... And the king's eventually like, ah, oh, it's cool. He's not going to, you know, try and murder me. He might as well be allowed to come closer so I can hear his music oh, stop better. Stop letting people close to you. <laughs> That's the problem. He needs to get one of those plexiglass screens. Yeah, he needs a Pope mobile. He does. <laughs> well, this is obviously just the opportunity that Gao Zhenli is looking for. So the next time he goes to play for the king, he has a specially weighted zither. I say zither, it's actually called a zhu, but it, okay. it's like a zither. Right, like an early one? Yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah, and basically it's weighted at the one end with lead. His plan is basically to get close to the king and bludgeon him to death. This isn't as sophisticated an idea. It's not a sophisticated idea. Also, I can only imagine that a specially weighted zither must be... An absolute pain in the arse to try and play. Oh, absolutely. I don't know if he ever actually tried to play it, because basically the next time he was able to get close enough to the king, he grabbed the zither and he swung. Ooh. And missed because he was blind. Yes, that would make sense. <laughs> so, of course, the king had him executed. Great. And all of his friends and family as well? I don't know. Or if was he, he out of friends and family? I think he was out point. of friends and family at this point. I mean, for one thing, he'd been living in hiding as a wine merchant. So mm. I think that... I feel like that's not a bad way to live in hiding. I know, right? Yeah. Well, before the third assassination attempt, we actually have the unification of China. Yay! Just that little bit. <laughs> this was in 221 BCE. Zheng finished conquering the other states and he renamed himself as Qin Shi Huang. Uh, sometimes also Qin Shi Huangdi. It actually means first emperor of Qin. Nice. Uh, under Qin Shi Huang's rule, he made a lot of changes that actually were really good and created a more unified country. He... Isn't it always the way with these evil, evil people? They're yeah. really good at this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's I, like, um, it's Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan. That was all I kept thinking of when I was reading it. Mm. Uh, he standardised the currency, as well as the units of measurement and the written language, and also even standardised the length of the axles for vehicles. And this was so that they could basically design uniform roads yeah. throughout the empire. Well, and like he, the Romans did. Yeah. 
And he was a prolific road builder. Nice. He also did apparently have some weird things with this as well. He apparently standardised the length of hat that people were allowed to wear. Your hat was allowed to basically be 15 centimetres, no more, no less. Okay, sure. But in general, he seemed to be a competent ruler, apart from also taking the first person pronoun for himself. Okay. So basically, people were no longer allowed to say I. So, well, only the emperor was allowed to say only I. the emperor was allowed to say I. So everyone else had to come up with a new word to replace the first person pronoun. What? <laughs> See, this is why the queen says we, right? Yes. <laughs> it gives her a special a special something without taking anything away from everyone else. Yeah. Well, Qin Shi Huang's going to be like, you know that pronoun. I like it. I'm going to have it. I like it. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Do you like it? I like it, so No! No! <laughs> <laughs> well, it's during his reign as first emperor that the third assassination attempt occurs. Ooh. Not everyone liked the new emperor. Understandable. A former noble from the state of Han had sworn revenge on the emperor for his conquest of Han in 230 BCE. Oh no, is Dan of Han gone then? Uh, this is Dan of Yan, that oh, was. Oh, Dan of Yan, not Dan yeah. of Han. No, no, I'm no, sorry. No. This is Han. Okay. There is there is Yan and there is Han. Okay, cool, cool. But also, uh, Qin Shi Huan had removed some of the sort of feudal systems, so I think a lot of nobles suddenly were not. Oh, no, they lost their peasants. Yeah. Or they have to pay them or something. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. So this guy is basically like, I don't like the emperor. I've got this grudge against him because, you know, he conquered my homeland and then basically took away all my stuff. Yep. So in 218 BCE, he sold all his remaining belongings and he hired a strongman for an assassination attempt. Okay. And he had a specific weapon made for this assassination attempt. And I want you to try and guess what it is. Okay. Because you won't. Okay. <laughs> but I want you to guess. Right. Is it something that exists or has existed? Like that I will, that I'll know, I'll know it. Uh, it's not, I'm not, it's not going to be like a specific weird weapon. Or anything like that, like so, just something with an odd name. Okay. You could easily imagine it. Okay. All right. Um. So, are you going to give me any clues about it, or do I just have to guess what this weapon is? That just, just make? have a guess. What do you think? You've got a strong man. Okay. Guy really strong. What would you give him? A kite. <laughs> Close. In that we are in the realm of geometric shapes. Ooh. Because he had made for him a metal cone weighing almost 100 kilograms. And that was the weapon to be used in the assassination. How big was this? <laughs> Quite big. Okay. Okay. Why? Okay. Was it like... <laughs> What, what, don't you think that a metal cone weighing nearly 100 kilograms is not the most efficient and effective weapon? Okay, no, I just... Okay, was it like a solid cone? Yes. Okay, it was a solid cone. It was a solid cone. It wasn't like a traffic cone. No. cone. It was a solid it cone. It was a solid metal cone weighing, I think it's 97 kilograms. What's he supposed to do with it? Like, I don't I don't get it. Well, what he was supposed to do with it was the pair of them were going to wait in the mountains for, an, for the emperor's carriage train to roll by. They were hiding in some bushes, and the plan was that the strong man would yeet the cone at the emperor's carriage, basically tossing it like a caber. Sure, I just feel like a cone... 
is it's kind of hard, it's kind of unwieldy even if you're throwing it you know I, what i mean I, like, you know what i i totally agree with you but you know the weird thing this worked really well no this worked fantastically well and there's a, there's just one very good reason why the emperor wasn't killed this day okay because everything went to plan the carriage train started going through they found the most ornate carriage yep. like that's the emperor's carriage the strong man threw the cone completely destroyed the carriage and the two of them fled and managed to get away safely amazing this was like perfect assassination especially because everyone's just confused about this massive cone yeah the problem was that there were two ornate carriages uh... because the emperor was prepared for such an attack. Well, not, you know, that attack specifically. <laughs> no one's prepared for that attack. <laughs> no one's prepared for a giant metal cone. <laughs> but he was pre- I've got so many clients, like, <laughs> just... <laughs> what was going through his mind? Just what? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, maybe there's some weird physics thing and actually a cone is really good to yeet at a carriage or something. I don't know. And like, what are the proportions of this cone? Like, as in, is it like a long, thin cone or is it kind of wedgy? I don't know. We just have the weight. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. So the emperor lives again. Hooray. (laughs) Now, possibly because of these assassination attempts and the long history of warfare, that Qin Shi Huang was, as I say, very concerned about the prospect of dying. I think I would be concerned, especially after the third attempt. I guess, I guess it's because I would get obsessed with it just because all of the ways that people tried to kill him were so weird. Like, if people were just trying to stab him all the time, I feel mm. like he wouldn't be that interested. But it's because they're like... Let's make a gigantic metal cone. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. Like, the first assassination attempt is kind of the most normal. Yes, but and even d- that was not that normal. No, it descended into a farce. Yeah. <laughs> With the king running round a pillar, trying to unsheathe a massive sword. Yeah. But if yeah. somebody tried to attack me with a weighted zipper, I would definitely be like, okay. <laughs> Anything can be a weapon. Yeah, pretty it's much. It's kind of Hitman style. Yeah, it is very much so, actually. <laughs> so what Qin Shi Huang wanted to do was find the secret of immortality. <laughs> I don't think that's going to help them. People are still going to try and eat cones at him. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe if they knew that he was immortal, they'd stop trying. Because it's like, it's not <laughs> worth it. He's immortal. There's nothing we can really do. Sure, yeah, okay. So he consulted many sorcerers and alchemists and his court physicians to try and extend his life. Okay. Uh, One of the things he began to do was he began to take some pills which were designed to improve his health and extend his life. More on those later. They didn't have mercury in them, did they? More on those (laughs) later. I have a strong suspicion they had mercury in them. He (laughs) also heard of a mystical plant with the powers to grant eternal life. And he sent one of his generals to go and find it. The general, Zhu Fu, set off on a boat accompanied by anything from 500 to 6,000 young virgin men and women. I don't know why. (laughs) I think he asked for this specifically. Okay. Is this to help him find the plant? I don't know. Or 
Is it that he's got a predilection? I don't know. I really don't know. I found conflicting reports. Okay. (laughs) But... How did they check? I have no idea. Again, this is... Everything (laughs) just stated this as like a simple fact. And I was reading these articles being like, hang on. Hang on. I have questions and no one is answering them. All right. Why is this Chinese general setting sail with 6,000 virgins, possibly? (laughs) Well, Zhufu never manages to find this magical plant. Really? And because of this, he actually doesn't return to the empire. But my God, he founded his own empire. Well, that is one of the stories because this is one of the sort of mythological stories of the founding of Japan. Oh, really? Okay. However, it is almost definitely apocryphal because genetic studies basically show that Japan had an indigenous population thousands of years before this and... The people of Japan today are descendants of those people, not this general and 6,000 virgins. Okay. So, (laughs) I mean, maybe there's some truth to it. Maybe they, like, integrated. See, I love that Japan has, you know, really well-organized ship, thousands of virgins, you know, all sorted, (laughs) whereas we have slutty princesses. (laughs) Do you remember our slutty princesses? And the giants, And the giants. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I think it says a lot about our different nations. Yeah. Well, Qin Shi Huang's not going to give up. He also searched for a mystical mountain, which was believed to be able to rejuvenate people. Nice. And he went on frequent trips to Jifu Island to climb the mountains there to try and find it. And he actually wrote about these trips. Uh, We have his writings, but we also have carvings that he did in the stones of the mountains where he recounted his trip. That's so cool. Yeah, written in his own hand in great detail, we have accounts of his trips. Would you like to hear one? Yes. So in 218 BCE, he wrote Arrived at Fu Carved the stone Okay, I sense you're not impressed. No, I'm not. (laughs) But it's okay because we do have a second carving, uh, which is from his actual, his final visit in 210 BCE. Okay. And it does go into more detail. Right. So this one reads, came to Fu, Mm -hmm. saw an enormous stone and shot one fish. (laughs) Ah. The words of the emperor wafts. (laughs) Wait, are these carved like into stones on the mountain? Yes. (laughs) That is great. Yes. I love that he feels like that's when I was here, isn't it? It That's all that is. I I think my favourite part of it is saw an enormous stone. (laughs) No shit, Sherlock, you're on a mountain. Was the intention that he'd come down off the mountain having like felt the feeling like immortality is on me? And then he would carve in going, I've gained immortality. This is the one. I don't know. (laughs) Okay. I don't know. I think it it might just be that he was kind of marking them off to be like, I've tried this mountain. I'm not immortal. Yeah. Going to try another mountain. I don't know. I don't know if anyone really knows. I love this (laughs) so much. Also, I feel like this mountain climbing must have been quite good for him. And maybe it did help him with his attempt at immortality. Yeah. 
Yeah. Like lots of healthy, fresh air, not in the court where people are trying to hit you with stuff. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and instead you get nice exercise, doing mountain climbing, yep. and then rock carving some very simple messages. And shooting some fish. <laughs> and what he else shot do you a want? fish. There is a version of that where him saying he shot one fish is him being modest because he actually slayed this sea monster. Oh, cool. Um, but we don't really have any idea of what that might actually have been, so... It seems more likely that he did just go on a fishing trip. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it would be great if he'd slain a sea monster, but that also raises questions about what sea monster... And exactly. What? What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, death is still very much on his mind, uh, especially because in 211 BCE, in the Dongjun district, a meteor fell. Oh, God. And... Where this meteor had fallen, someone actually carved into that rock, the first emperor will die and his lands will be divided. Now, as a wow. prophecy, that's pretty simple. Like, the first emperor will die. Yeah. Again, it's a sort of no shit Sherlock. Yeah. I mean, but also, like, that's kind of ballsy oh, to, yeah. like, whoever did that. I mean, it's kind of traditional for... Uh, like this type of ruler to really dislike it if anyone ever says that they might die like as in Henry VIII telling all of his surgeons that they're not allowed to say that the king will die so they just go around going you're fine but what about the fact that I feel like I'm dying nope I don't know what gives you impre the impression that Qin Shi Huang is anything like that. I'm Stalin sure, was like that. <laughs> I'm sure he would have been absolutely fine seeing this message carved on this meteor. Do you remember that time I told you about that witch who got... <laughs> oh, no, it wasn't even a witch. It was Eleanor Cobham who said who found out that the king might yeah. get ill. And then they were like, she's prophesying the king's death. <laughs> she must die. I don't know where you're getting this from. History. Jin Sha Huang's a lovely man who'd never do anything like that. It repeats like itself. I'm assuming it started off somewhere, probably with Jin Sha Huang. <laughs> well, you're exactly right. Yes. <laughs> he executed everyone who had seen the stone. Oh my god. And ordered his soldiers to pulverize the meteor into dust. Wow. Yeah. And so much scientific research know, in the right? future was lost. <laughs> he could have made a sword of thunderbolt iron. He could. Yeah. Like Sir Terry Pratchett. Exactly. But instead, he had it pulverized into dust because, you know, he really doesn't want to hear anyone talking about his death. No. Also, I love that the prophecy was kind of wrong in that they're like, and his kingdom will be divided. And well, then it wasn't until I like... 1912. I mean, yes and no. There were some really bloody warring periods. Oh, sure. Um, and also, his dynasty didn't last quite as long as he might have wanted, but mm. that's possibly for another time. Okay. So the year after the meteor fell, he was on tour in eastern China, and he fell ill. What? Why are you laughing? <laughs> we love you. <laughs> 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 the screaming crowds we're like yeah I mean I think with a place the size of China it's probably important that the emperor visits places on occasion I know it was just the phrase on tour yeah <laughs> well the image of him wearing sunglasses <laughs> well possibly because he did start feeling pretty ill oh no now this is possibly from the stress of running the empire because sure. he was known to be a man who got stressed out quite easily and <laughs> why did he want to run a whole empire he brought this on himself well he was damn good at it yeah yeah 
However, it is also more likely the fact that his medicinal pills caught up with him, what with them being made of mercury. Yay! Yay! You guessed it, you bastard. <laughs> well, I knew this because of another podcast. Ah, fair enough. Which is the Sawbones podcast, which is very good uh, for medical history. Yeah. They do a whole episode on the uses of mercury. Mm. Well, it seemed like in China, mercury did kind of have this weird connotation of life. Mm. So it was... I, I think it must have been imagined that if you took pills of mercury, then you were basically ingesting life force. I think they just kind of liked it because like a lot of people like the fact that you could kind of recollect it afterwards. Mm. It doesn't go into your bloodstream necessarily, or yeah. at least not enough to notice. Yeah. Well, in this case, the king got really ill. Understandable. Mercury is poisonous. Yep. Please and, don't eat it. <laughs> and he died a short time later. Now, this was a huge problem because they were a two months' journey away from the capital. Oh, shit. And the Prime Minister, Lee Si, was worried that an uprising would occur if people knew that the Emperor was dead. Mm-hmm. So he wanted to get everyone back to the capital and then announce the Emperor was dead, because sure. then, you know... They've rebels, got the capital. Yeah, rebels yeah. couldn't take over the capital. So... He had to pretend that the emperor was still alive for two months. Oh, my God. So what he did was he had the emperor's carriage, had the curtains drawn on it. Yeah. Only a few people were let in on the secret that the emperor was dead. And they all went about pretending that the emperor was still alive. They brought him food. They brought him changes of clothes. And Li Si would dictate messages from the king. Wow. But this was, I believe, during summer. Oh, no. And, of course, what's going to happen with a dead body in a stuffy carriage Mm. in the height of summer? Mm. It's going to start to (laughs) decompose and smell. Oh, God. But don't worry. Lisi has thought of this. Okay. He's got the possibly one of the greatest ideas ever. (laughs) Yeah? Yeah. He has two carts of rotting fish accompany the king's carriage. (laughs) And no one was like, why isn't the king complaining about this rotting fish? Hmm, something's fishy here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, apparently it worked because after two months they made it back to the capital and the king was, sorry, the emperor was finally declared dead. Right. Well, maybe people were like, I think the emperor is dead, but let's not say anything about it because no one's getting blinded recently. <laughs> there is that. <laughs> they were like, they all knew. Yeah, they, they all knew. <laughs> Why else would you have two carts of rotting fish accompany yeah, no, the king's they 100% like, all the servants knew about it and they were yeah. just like using it as an opportunity to have wild parties. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the emperor was declared dead and his successor... Emperor Qin Shi Huang's 18th son... Oh, my God. ...was declared the next emperor. Now, he wasn't meant to be. The first son was meant to be declared emperor. But the thing is, Li Si did not like the friends that the first son had made. Oh, no. And basically thought that if that son, if that son, Fu Su, became emperor, then he, Li Si, would be out on his ear. Right. So, Li Si forged a letter from <gasps> Qin Shi Huang in which he ordered Fusu to kill himself. What? 
And Fusu did so. Oh my god! Yeah. That's awful! It's so bad! That's so awful! This is what I mean earlier when I say, like, I think, I think Hua Yi, Huan Yi, whatever his name was, uh, might well have allowed his head to be cut off yeah. in order to enact the assassination plan because Fusu was ready to kill himself at the drop of a hat. Oh, God. It's really grim. That's really sad. Imagine thinking that was the last thing your dad asked for from you. Yeah, right? That's tragic. <laughs> and then you do it. Yeah. I mean, you've got to imagine that this was, like, normal enough for him not to really question this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wonder if his dad sent off a lot of letters like that. <laughs> Well, Qin Shi Huang has quite the legacy, not just in the fact that, you know, he founded Imperial China, but also mm. a physical legacy. Okay. Because, as I say, he was put into his mega necropolis Ooh. that has been planned to be built since he was King Zheng. Okay. This was then covered over with earth. And this is just the first of the mega necropolises that would later come with other Chinese emperors. But this one is probably the most famous. Is this the one with the... Um... Yes. Yay! It remained hidden and undisturbed until 1974, when some farmers accidentally broke their way inside and discovered... The Terracotta Army. Oh, uh, it's so cool. It is fantastic. As of 2007, 8,000 Terracotta Warriors have been found, and that is not even all of them. Like, even aside from the Warriors, there are horses, there are chariots, and there are people who are not soldiers there as well. Man, this was a guy who was thinking about the afterlife, wasn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. These statues, for people who haven't seen them, they are amazing pieces mm. of work like they're so realistic they're for so terracotta it's amazing and not just that but they are all unique mm. they all are individual people with different faces and expressions and standing in different ways they are not just sort of copy paste jobs and not only that we know that when they were first made they were also painted in garish colors nice i love it when people did that yeah it definitely looks better in terracotta and also just the sheer value of them. Now, we know, as I say, there are 8,000 soldiers. I'm not yeah. including anything else. 8,000 soldiers. One statue sold at auction for $4.5 million. Whoa. And that was a statue that was imperfect because it was missing a finger. And who got that money? I have no idea. Is it like <laughs> the Chinese government? Almost certainly, yes. <laughs> cool. But... The combined value of the Terracotta Army, I think, goes into the billions. Wow. It is absolutely insane. There were not just the Terracotta Army, there were 40,000 bronze weapons found. And there are believed to be many, many more treasures. There are some that we know of that are just too numerous for me to list here. But the thing is that... I can't tell you all the treasures that are in this mega necropolis because we can't get into his tomb. Okay. To this day, his actual tomb remains closed and undisturbed for a very good reason that I'll go into in a bit. But first, I'll just give you a bit more of a description of the mega necropolis. It was modelled on the Qin capital, Zhanyang. And it basically is the size of a city. What? It was divided into inner and outer cities with walls between them. Okay. 
and it measured in circumference two and a half kilometers. Sorry, I'm wrong. The inner city <laughs> measured in circumference two and a half kilometers. The outer city measured six point three kilometers. Okay, what was he planning to do with all of this if he became immortal? I have no idea. Because this is a lot of building work for something that you are actively trying to avoid. Quite, yeah, it, yeah. That's that's a very good point. I hadn't thought of that. Like, imagine him coming back down off his mountain, having discovered immortality. He's discovered the immortality mountain. And he's like, ah. And then he's like, oh, God. I've just spent so long building another underground city. <laughs> I've got these guys making 10,000 terracotta men. And now what am I going to tell them? Well, to be fair, at the time, it wasn't underground. Like, they covered it over with earth later. Oh, so okay. perhaps it would be like a living monument to him. Yeah, all right. I, I could see him doing that, to be fair. I mean... This is a very self-involved person. Oh, yeah. I mean, anyone who builds a mausoleum kind of is. Yeah. And if you build one this big, you're very self-involved. Yep. It contained a number of pits in which they found figures and artifacts, uh, as well as terracotta figures of entertainers and strongmen. They found a stone suit of armor. Did they find a cone for them to yeet at them? <laughs> I don't think so. But they did find bronze cranes, swans and ducks. Nice. With groups of uh, statues of musicians. Outside the outer walls were also found imperial stables where real horses were buried with terracotta figures of grooms kneeling beside them. Wow. I know, right? Uh, to the west were found mass burial grounds for the labourers that were forced to build the complex. So they got to stay with him. Great. But I've already mentioned that even though we have uncovered a fair amount of the mega necropolis, mm -hmm. we haven't uncovered all of it. And some of it is just because it's very difficult to uncover. Okay. But the reason that the tomb of Qin Shi Huang has not been opened is because inside are mechanically flowing rivers of mercury. No, there are not. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Inside, according to legend, and we do have some evidence to suggest that this is true, are all his personal treasures. Right. And there are a great many traps as well, including crossbow traps in the walls and other Tomb Raider type shit. No! Yeah. This was all made up for Indiana no, Jones. No, it... it it's there, apparently. Oh, and there is some evidence. Like, they've studied soil samples around and there is a huge amount of mercury <laughs> oh, in God. them. Amazing. But one of the interesting things is that there might... From what they found, the mercury is actually stored really well. Okay. And this has actually led to scientific interest in studying this tomb. Because... There is some suggestion that the methods used to create this tomb could actually be utilised in the modern day to create storage facilities for nuclear waste. Oh my god! From power plants. So he could actually, once again, have done something amazing for people. Absolutely. While also being an utter jerk. Absolutely. But you know what? His body's there, surrounded by his rivers of mercury. I think he'd be pretty pleased with that. Thank you for listening to That Time When. You can follow us on Twitter at That Time When 4 and suggest episodes to us at ttwpod at gmail.com. Thank you, as always, to Kevin McLeod for our theme song, Anachronist, as well as any other music that Barnaby's used in the podcast. And thank you for listening. 
Now go out, invest in eels, and don't take mercury tablets. Unless you just surround yourself by them. Bye!